You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. You know, just out of curiosity, how many of us have Spanish-speaking relatives where that's their primary language? There's, uh, I just wanted to make sure that we're aware of this, and the announcements will be coming out uh, as the different events take place, but we're really trying to pair with the MOE and the MLA on a lot of the different events through the year. There's major quarterly pushes that are going to take place, and if you have Spanish-speaking family, we want to encourage you when those events take place, go with your family members and get them to those events. Uh, language, obviously, um, it, it, it's a challenge, and... We all want all of our family members and friends to become disciples. Amen? Amen. This is just an opportunity. We want, to, we want to make sure that you feel freed up to be able to attend in those situations so that you can get your family on out. Amen? We've got a number of them coming up throughout the remainder of the year, so just be paying attention to those announcements. We'll make sure they all go out on CCB as well as we move forward. Amen? Let's go ahead and uh, have another prayer, and we'll get things going here tonight. Well, Father, thank you so much for where the boundaries have fallen. You've given us such an incredible place to live here throughout the South Bay. And, Father, I'm so grateful for the relationships that we have in this room. This evening, give us the opportunity to really take a close look at what Jesus was willing to do for us, knowing that uh, as each of us made Jesus Lord of our lives when we were baptized into his name, that we strive each and every day to become more and more like Christ, to be more and more serving like Christ, have the humility that Jesus did, uh, be that salt that he talks about, the light that he talks about, knowing that we really do in this room, each and every one of us as Christians, have the opportunity to help change lives. Father, I love you. Again, thank you so much for the way you look after us, the sacrifice that you gave us through your son Jesus, who died as us, so we could have a relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you can see tonight, the uh, title of the message is Fools for Christ, or actually the series, and it's Living a Narrow, narrow Way. Now, I um, had a couple of questions here for you. How many of you have younger brothers or sisters? That's it? How many of you have younger brothers or sisters? There we go. You're with me now. That's good. How do you feel when somebody messes with them? Anybody want to share maybe a situation or something that took place? So I, I, how many of you, uh, we have any single parents in the group here tonight? How do you guys feel when somebody messes with your kids? Any of you ever had a family member that's been bullied? A few of you? You know, I had a couple of situations with uh, my kids when they were little. Um, the first one, I'm not super proud of the way I handled it looking back. It's probably a good thing it was as far back as it was because I probably wouldn't be here talking about it today. But there was a, uh, this young punk in junior, I think it was junior high school. No, actually, I did that. It was elementary school. It was giving my daughter a bad time. And he consistently would come up behind her and flip up her skirt. And then he'd make a number of comments about her as well. So I think Stephen was the one that ratted out who the young man was. And uh, I showed up. Actually, I, I gave Shaylee some direction to give him about, you know, him continuing to bother her the way that he was. 
And then I would show up if it continued. Well, evidently he thought that was an empty threat because it continued. And uh, I do remember waiting outside the uh, school for him. (laughs) And let's just say we had a little chat in Jesus, and I'll leave it at that. But he did quit bothering her. And then the the next one, you know, it's not just little kids that I'll pick on, but... uh, I'll engage adults on this level as well. And uh, there was a number of years ago, Steve was on a little league team in Yorba Linda. Uh, any of you guys know Jim Hill, the sports announcer? Okay, well, his brother was the uh, coach of Steven's little league team. There was a young man, I think his name was Adam, right? Yeah, you don't even remember? <laughs> well, uh, needless to say, Adam uh, wasn't the nicest person on the face of the planet. was giving my son some grief. So uh, this time, rather than deal with the kid, I figured, well, his dad's the coach. I should just go have a chat with his coach. Now, I didn't know who his dad was until I walked out onto, it was like the first or I guess the second or third game, Stephen pointed me in his direction, and uh, I went over and introduced myself, and he stood up, and I've got pretty big hands. <laughs> he shook my hand, and I don't know where my hand went when he wrapped his hand around it. <laughs> And, you know, I proceeded to explain to him what my concerns were and how his son was treating my son, and uh, at which point he stepped back from me and just started clenching and unclenching his fist. I thought, you know, I haven't been in a fight in probably 30, 35 years, and uh, based on the size of Mr. Hill, um, I probably wouldn't have fared too well. But, uh, you know, we kept talking, and he finally understood where I was coming from, and we made peace and, you know, left my son alone. But... When you have family members that are being messed around with, not a good feeling, right? Now, how do you feel when you've got a family member that somebody goes to bat for, maybe defends them in a situation like this, engages where they're not even asked, and they help that brother, sister, nephew, niece, mom, dad, whoever it is, they help them out. How do we feel about that? Yeah, we're grateful. And just thinking through this, I want us to keep this in mind tonight as we move forward here, and that... This is how God feels about us. God doesn't like it when we get bullied. You know, we've got Satan, who's quite the bullier. You know, we, we, he's also a parent. And, and thinking through that, have any of you ever been given directions by your parent as to maybe, you know, certain places you shouldn't go when you were little, certain maybe alleys to avoid, or parks that you shouldn't go to alone, or anything? Any of you guys relate? Any of you ever have a situation like that? Uh, any of you disobey that direction and not go too well? Yes, you relate to me on that one, too. I wasn't always the greatest in following direction. And it's amazing that, you know, in those situations, for me, when I strayed, how there were repercussions. And usually it was a black eye or bloody nose or, you know, my, my lunch money stolen or something along those lines. But there's also repercussions for the decisions we make. And tonight, really thinking this through, we got a lot of different challenges to take place in the course of a day. Satan is out there alive and well every minute of every hour of every day trying to bully us into submission, trying to distract us away from our calling. And thinking that through in light of what we've talked about family, how do you think God feels about that? Yeah, he doesn't like it. And God wants to give us that out. God wants to give us the ability to deal with with anything that can come our way in the course of a day. You know, it's interesting. We look back throughout the Bible, go back, going back to the Old Testament, 
When there were issues, when the Israelites were beaten, getting beat up, how did God deal with it? He gave them direction. The Israelites that were in Egypt, he gave them a path out of Egypt. He gave them a path through the Red Sea. He gave them a path through the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And in each of these situations, what was at the end of that path? Usually it got down to what God had promised. And in a lot of ways, this is a foreshadowing of what we have today through Jesus Christ. Got a couple of uh, Psalms that I want to read for you. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, How happy is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path of sinners or join a group of mockers. You know, there's obviously implications as to the individuals we get involved in, the places we go, things that we do. And it's very clear here, it doesn't go well if we put ourselves in harm's way by some of the individuals that we may hang out with. Individuals that aren't going to give us godly advice. In Psalm 16, verse 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Isaiah 35, verse 8. This one, I thought this was really cool. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. This is a reference to Jesus and Jesus' walk, what he represents for us. It will be there for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. And then we have this incredible song that Zachariah wrote, our uh, early predecessor to Brian Craig here. (laughs) Zachariah sings this amazing song about John's nephew, Jesus, in Luke, and what his own son would do. In Luke 1, verse 76, it says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. To give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death. You know, if you stop there, it would be kind of an ominous thing, but it continues. It says to guide our feet into the path of peace. You know, when you think of a path, what comes to mind? Anybody? Lord of the Rings, okay. There was a path. It's clear. Now, doesn't a path tend to set itself up for a little bit easier travel? You know, the city of Boston is, you know, any, anybody from Boston before I say anything more about it? <laughs> it, is, it, is the, it is the wildest city. And then I was told this, you maybe can confirm it or let me know if it's one of those urban myths, but... I heard that the, you know, some cities you have a military bend and there's a grid and it's very definitive as to how the whole thing works out. I heard that in Boston, a lot of the streets were actually laid down on paths that cattle had laid as they went to and from, wherever they were foraging for food. And it, it, it amazed me. I remember visiting Willie Flores out there years ago, and literally from one point in town, there were 10 different ways you could get to his house. It was a mess. But, you know, paths do make travel easier. 
But, you know, you can have two different paths. You can have a path going in the right direction. You can have a path going in the wrong direction. And the travel on, e- on both may be easy. And that's the thing that we've got to really make sure that we are going after and we discern when it comes to our own walk tonight. Amen? Amen. You know, this pa- the purpose of this path that Zachariah was singing about here is that ultimately the path that Jesus has established for us leads to the very thing that this prophet was talking about. Jesus is a path to peace. You know, in uh, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, we have one of the most incredible messages ever that's preached by Jesus Christ, the most incredible sermon. And there's a whole bunch of different things that are covered in it. Matthew 5, 3 through 11, it talks about the type of heart that ultimately will be blessed by God. 13 through 14 talks about the need to be salt and a light, knowing that salt's something that preserves. Knowing that light exposes. And if we're walking in the light, we're exposed. As an example to those yet to know really what the truth is, what the way is that Jesus talks about. You know, many of you remember, uh, Mark used to have this uh, saying, stay salty, my friend. <laughs> he said it a little bit differently than that, and I'm not going to go there. I'm just leaving that alone. But anyway. Then verses 17 through 20, it's the, it talks about the cost of disobedience versus righteousness. 20 through 37 talks about where sin begins and our own word, commitment, what it means when we make an oath. Verses 38 through 42 talks about how to deal with wrongdoers. 43 through 48 talks about how to deal and interact with the enemies that you may have in your life. And Jesus gave us that example on how to engage on those levels as well. In Matthew 6, he talks about how to give, how to pray, how to fast. 19 through 24 in Matthew 6, he talks about life and the road that we're on and the things that we can pursue that will keep us from seeking the kingdom first. But he goes on to let us know how awesome God is and God knows what our needs are. And he references the birds and the lilies of the field and how incredible they are. And they do absolutely nothing to be that way. And that God provides for them. And how much more so will God provide for us? So I want us to uh, watch a video here for a moment. And we'll kind of pick up and talk a little bit more about paths. And... Whoops. And the, the, the arguments I've had where, where uh, you, you know, people have said, you know, one guy, I've been in my church for like 15 years, ever since it started. I thought I was one of the key guys. And, and he comes to me, you know, just, just not too long ago, and he goes, you know, Francis, here's the problem with you. He goes, you think everyone needs to be this radical. You, you think that Jesus calls us all to be radicals. He, he, goes, he goes, you know, you, you think there's just these, these few radicals, and, and, and he goes, you know, there's this, you've got to understand, there's, there's, a, there's this middle road where, where, you know, people, you know, they profess Christ and they do some good things. And it's like you're, 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 you're neglecting that whole middle road. Did you guys know that? There's a narrow road that leads to life, there's a wide road that leads to destruction, and now there's this new middle road. See, I didn't know that. Like, 
like a carpool lane. You, it's just this, this weird new road we created where you can just do some good things in the name of Jesus and still hold. It, it's, it's, you know, it, you know you're, school, you're serious right now. You're dead serious. You found a middle road. I, I, you guys, I, I'm not a real, you got to understand, those who know me know that I'm not a real complicated guy. I, I, I tend to think like a kid. I tend to just go, wow, that seems like what it says. You know, I, I, I remember when, uh, when I was a kid, we used to play this game called Follow the Leader. Remember that? I mean, some of you guys don't, because you just play video games. And you, 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 but we used to play this game called Follow the Leader, where the leader, you know, flaps his wings, and you do the same thing. And it, it was easy. You, you just do what the leader did. And it's so weird how in the church we've twisted this. And Follow Jesus is a different game. You don't really have to flap your wings. You don't accent. You can just sit there and do it in your heart. Seriously. You know, when I read the scripture, it says, man, whoever claims to, to, to know it must, must walk as Jesus walked. But we go, well, no, I'm doing that in my heart. You're like the kid sitting on the recliner going, no, I'm flapping my wings in my heart. It doesn't make sense. It's, 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 it, we, we distort things because of what we want. You know, remember, you remember Simon says? That was easy, right? Simon says, pat your head. But Jesus says it's a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you, you, you just have to memorize it. That's what we do in the church. If Jesus says, you just got to study it. You, you, just gotta, you, you just have to be able to quote it in the Greek. You, you just, it's, 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 it has nothing to do with, hey, Jesus says... You know, look, look, when my daughter, you know, comes to me and I go, look, go clean your room. She knows better than to come back a few hours later and goes, Dad, I, I memorized what you said. <laughs> I can say it in Greek. In fact, some of my friends, we're going to come over and we're going to do a little study on what it would look like to clean my room. It just, it's not making sense to me. And, and all I can say is that we're twisting things. We do. We do in the church. And we, we create this little way where we don't actually have to do what Jesus called us. You know, I love uh, Francis Chan's modern day storytelling. The, the way he can convey his story. And, you know, we find this humorous. And it is. But it also is, a, is an indictment against human nature when it comes to our walk and where we can sometimes go when it comes to what Jesus has laid out very clearly for us in Scripture. Do we take Jesus at his word? Which path are we on? Are we on the narrow path? Are we on the wide path? We are uh, working with this new creation they have in 2015, this diamond lane called the Middle Path. You know, in John 14, verse 23, I think most of us are. are we all doing the red letter uh, revolution throughout the region on Sundays. It's amazing. You look through, you go through the New Testament, the Gospels, and look at what Jesus has to say. And we've got to make sure that we're doing that. That we get back to our roots. 
we go back to the, the foundational teachings that brought us into the kingdom, and more than anything, what, what Jesus established for us so that we can get to heaven. In John 14, verse 23, Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, you know, as we saw here with Franz Wood, he'll get on that middle road because that's easier. You know, we'll embrace it in our heart, we'll memorize it, but we'll do everything we can not to live it. Jesus says here, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. You know, we read this passage, and in light of what we're talking about, we've, we've got two different paths here, right? There's a path of love, which Jesus establishes the path of what? Not, not a word we like to say, is it? But the path of love is the path of obedience. What's the other path? And if the path of obedience is love, what's the path of disobedience? I think we've got to understand that. This is the contrast that Jesus gives us the opportunity to choose from. Two paths, path of love, path of hate. And why does it get cloudy on what we should be doing as disciples, as Christians? Why do the waters get murky sometimes? Anybody? Why, why does it become unclear sometimes as to what we need to do to really be true disciples of Jesus Christ? Let, let me, let me, let me get, let's get a few hands here. I'm not, I'm not good at tongues. Aaron? Opinions? Good. Kike? Our, our will? Yeah. Distractions? There, there, there's a lot of them in the mix. Unclear doctrine. Traditions. Family members, things we've grown up with, they kind of sneak back in. Now, how many of you remember getting all kinds of grief when you first became a Christian? It's because there was a contrast. Something different was going on. Mom and Dad may not have been too happy with it. Brothers and sisters may not have been too happy with it. And ultimately, what that ties into, I've been studying this out quite a bit here, just from a historical standpoint, the last few weeks. See if I can get the next slide up here. Please, you advance that for me. Cool. So what we see here, temple model. Now, this is something that goes back way before Christianity. Pretty much every race has ever been out there. Don't they usually have some kind of a plethora of gods they worship? And isn't there a place they worship them in? And aren't there texts that correspond to those specific gods? And with that, a sacred man that interprets those texts for a sincere group of followers? I mean, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Egyptians, the Jews, all of them fall within this model. And the thing that's a challenge with that is, for Christianity, in the 4th century church, there was this guy by the name of Constantine made Christianity the legal religion. And his mom, Helena, wanted to really make a big deal out of this. And it's amazing. You go all throughout Europe, you go throughout the Middle East, there is temple after temple after temple after temple where she took all the wealth of Rome 
and built these incredible places of worship over various artifacts. She claims to have found the cross that Christ was crucified on. Now, I don't know if you know it or not, a lot of your, uh, a lot of your uh, churches, sacred sites in Europe and the Middle East, there's usually bones of one of the apostles that are underneath the altar. There, this, this is true. I mean, you go throughout the uh, old town in Jerusalem. It's amazing the different sites. This person buried here. This is where Jesus was. I mean, it, it's wild. And the scope of these things that are still standing today, the wealth that went into building these things. But this is where the problem came in. It became much more about the place, the people at the place, and their interpretation of whatever those sacred texts were being conveyed to a sincere group of followers that there may have been some fear base involved as to how to stay right with God based on what these sacred men came through with. Things like penance, things that you would pay, things that you could do to get right with God. God's never been about do's and don'ts, ever. And this is where we get messed up. So, uh, next passage, Matthew 7, verse 13, says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is broad that leads into destruction, and there are many who go through it. Many. What does that mean? And the thing that's scary about this, and we've got to understand how important a relationship with God is, if we don't protect a relationship with God, this can apply to any and all of us here tonight. Verse 14, it continues, it says, How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. How many is a few? Not a lot. Definitely different than many, right? It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are there grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Narrow path, wide path. Good fruit, bad fruit. The decision's ours. Based on whether or not we're willing to love God. Which means obey God. And really just kind of thinking this through. How many of us have worked a 50, 60, or 70 hour week? Most of us here? How many of you have trained a few days or a few hours a day to run maybe a 5K or a 10K? Or for those of you that are really zealous... I've got different terminology I use for that because mentally I can't even get my head around marathons or the rest of that stuff. But how many of you spend a couple hours a day training for something like that? The thing we've got to ask ourselves tonight is what does our pursuit of the kingdom look like? It's amazing the energy and the time that we will put into all these things outside of God's kingdom. But what is our pursuit of the kingdom look like? And we need to be willing to make that personal assessment tonight. Verse 21, it goes on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. See, we can look at all these things. You know, it might even get a little overwhelming, man. It seems like God's got some wicked expectations that we're supposed to engage on. But I, we've got to keep this in mind. It's not what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. Now think about this for a minute. When it comes to lying, how should we feel about lying? Lying. Like not telling the truth. We're not talking, I'm not talking about lions, tigers, and bears. Somebody... How should we feel about lying? Okay. I, I heard somebody say, I hate it. Detestable. Detestable. Why? That's what? Okay. Why, why, why is lying not a good idea? Okay, how does God feel about lying? Detestable. Condemnable. See, all that stuff's true. You know what the real issue with lying is, though? This is how God feels about lying. Lying is a matter of us thinking much more highly of ourselves than the individuals that we lie to. We, we convince ourselves that the individuals we're lying to can't deal with the truth or, you know, whatever. We have all these excuses, and a lot of them are protective about why we shouldn't lie. God doesn't want us to lie. It's a commandment, this, that, and the other. But the reality of it is God has it there so we don't hurt other people. It's not about it being condemnable or detestable or any of those things. It's a matter of the hurt that's involved for the individual that's on the receiving end of it. What about impurity? Why is impurity wrong? Can I see hands? And the quicker we get through a few of these, the quicker we'll get on. Okay, it hurts you. Doesn't bring glory to God. Body's a temple. See, I think a lot of this, when we think about it, you know, it hurts us, it hurts God, but the reality of it is, again, impurity, it puts expectations that can put real relationships in the future in jeopardy based on whatever you've engaged with, the stuff that's going on in your head, Expectations you may have for whoever you get involved with if someday you decide to marry somebody. There's these preconceived ideas that it's not a matter of damaging you, which it does, but it hurts that other individual. I know a brother on his honeymoon, as a disciple who was pure in his dating relationship, but because of his experience in the world, when it was out there on that honeymoon, the ideas that he had in his head that he tried to use in that setting... His wife knew something else was going on. She conveyed to him it wasn't something she was about, and it created all kinds of issues. And today, this is 25-something years later, they just recently got divorced. But you bring things into a setting because of self that is destructive for other people. You know, we think about purity. We think about immorality. You know, well, you got to kind of test things out before you decide to really commit. You know, getting married today is foolish. 
from a worldly standpoint. You you think about immorality. How does God feel about that? So this falls in the realm of everything else we've already talked about so far tonight. The issue with immorality is pressuring someone else to engage in that activity and the long-term repercussions they deal with from that point forward. Now, again, they, they decide that they're going to get married, and all of a sudden there's that, that wonderful time where you kind of do the dance about how much you should talk about what's taken place in your past. See, the person that pursued and pressured, they're not sitting there in the counseling appointments when somebody's working through the fact that maybe they give up a child for adoption or maybe they give up a child because they had an abortion. The person that pressured them isn't dealing with those repercussions. This is why it's so important. We've got to get beyond the do's and the don'ts. It's not about the do's and the don'ts. It's about something very, very basic in light of how God has loved us and his expectation for the way we conduct ourselves with other people. You know, giving. What's the thing with giving? You know, why should we give? You know, God says so. We're supposed to give a tithe or we're supposed to be sacrificial or whatever it is. The issue with giving is it helps others. That generosity helps those that receive. You know, we look at special missions and the impact that that can have on people. You know, I, I so appreciate the, the brothers and sisters that, I mean, we've got so much that you guys serve within the local community, but the, this, this core that goes to the Philippines every year, our, our disciple dentists, you know, you ask them who benefits from that situation. They're, they're doing an incredible thing for others, but you know what? They're, they benefit on a heart level when it comes to that kind of giving. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, you know, it says, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. This is something we need to really take a look at on a heart level. We still have a large percentage within this congregation that gives zero. Still have a very large percentage within this group. I can speak to South Bay specifically. We've got about 40% of the group that gives less than $5 a week. Now, I, I got a uh, mocha vente frappuccino at Starbucks today with five scoops of protein and a banana. Actually, it was a mocha light frappuccino, five scoops of protein and a banana. One of those is six seventy-five. You're telling me we don't have the ability to each and every one of us do that on a weekly basis? You know, for those of you that don't engage on that level, you're okay with the person sitting to your right and left paying for your seat? That's what we got going on. It's called not seeking the kingdom first. See, we can get lax. We can lose sight of what and how we've been blessed. You know, I'm so excited about a couple in our ministry in South Bay. You know, God's very clear about and Jesus is very clear when it comes to money, how incredibly damaging it can be if that is our only pursuit in life. We know the story about the guy with the barns, you know, he tears one down, he's building others and, you know, planning for tomorrow. We don't know if we're going to be around. You know, I really appreciate Mark Steberg. This blew me away. And that this guy's 41 years old, he's got enough money to retire right now for the next 45 years for himself and the next 55 years for his wife. And not work another day of his life. He was going to move to Iowa to retire. He's got family there. Jackie and I approached him. 
on staying here. If we can make up the difference between this cost of living moving to Iowa and the cost of living here in California, he would use his retirement to go on staff. 45 years for himself, 55 years for his wife, and he's decided to do just that. That's the kind of heart that God's looking for. That's seeking the kingdom first. You know, how does the world view that? Guy can retire at the age of 41, and he's decided to use that retirement to build God's church. The world looked at it as being pretty foolish. It's like, dude, you should have the diesel pusher with the Harleys and the Jeep that you're towing behind and just go tour the world. But he realizes that his reward's in the next life, and that's what he's pursuing. How do we stay on the right path? Hebrews 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful and believing heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. You know, just thinking through this when it comes to, again, just a basic principle that we, we've received when we study the Bible. Sinful and believing heart. What's one of the ways of overcoming that? It's right here in this passage. Encouraging one another. We need to be involved with each other on this level. It's not just about Wednesdays or Sundays, or for some just Sundays, or for some maybe once or twice a month. It's about being engaged with each other in the fellowship daily, relationally, having incredible friendships. But you know what, guys? Midweeks, they're not optional. Sundays, they're not optional. And what's the reality? The reality is if you're not engaged on that level, what we see at the beginning of this passage is what I guarantee you is exemplified in some of your lives right now. Are you going to be here next year? Where are you going to spend your eternity? As an evangelist, my role is to teach and prepare and entrust and remind and redirect and get you back on the right path. I can't do this for you. That's something we're each responsible for individually. And if we're not engaged on the level, our hearts do get hard. They get, they get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And it says in verse 14, we have come to share in Christ, we hold firmly to the end, the confidence we had at first. What was that day of baptism like? It wasn't exciting. I remember being stressed out of my mind on the way to my baptism. We lived out in Chino Hills, and I had to drive on the freeway to Escovina. We were about 20 miles away from where we were getting baptized. I was hanging under that wheel like... <laughs> I remember my traps were stressed out by the time I got there. I was all... <laughs> I was afraid I was going to get hit, or I was going to hit somebody, or I was going to get distracted. But man, when I hit that water, and I, I'm sorry, it was a nice warm jacuzzi in December... But it was amazing. And to be able to turn and baptize my wife, it was amazing. I mean, it's like one of these movies, man, the slow-mo and all the colors and the reflections. Of the, I remember, boom, and, and just watching the water drain off the back of her head, back into the jacuzzi. It was amazing. I was excited. I was confident. A little scared. You know, just the newness of the whole thing. Not wanting to sin. 
Where are we in relationship to what we did, what we learned, our first love? Hebrews 5, verse 11 says, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. You know, we, we've just got to be real. Based on the way you're conducting yourself right now, uh, guys, I know there's a lot of you that are fully engaged. We've got leaders in this group that are amazing, that pull all kinds of extra energy into the rest of you. But think about this. If you were studying the Bible with somebody right now, is your life worthy of imitation? Are the things you would study with them so that they can look at you and say, oh my gosh, I can do this because they're doing it? Or are they going to look at you and say, dude, this is just like anything else I've ever been a part of. You're like my boss at work. Do as I say, not as I do. Do we exemplify Christ for those in our neighborhoods, for those in the workplace, for the people that we come into contact with? Solid food, verse 14, is for the mature, who by constant use have trained who? Themselves to distinguish good from evil. So we've got to continue to train. Are we engaged on the same level that we used to? Studying the Bible, praying, being involved with each other. And it's so easy to get back there. It's a decision. But what it gets down to is whether or not you're buying into Satan lies about everything else being more attractive than what you have in the kingdom. Do we believe God? Do we believe Jesus for what he's called us to, for what he's demonstrated for us, what he died for? And one of the things I love about the roll call of the faithful is where a lot of these individuals were before they were commended in this passage. You know, Hebrews 10, verse 24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Again, we've got to be involved with each other on that level. But getting back to the roll call of the faithful as we move forward in Hebrews, who are some of the individuals that are listed? Samson? Sarah? Rahab? Abraham? You know, it's amazing the transitions with all these individuals. Abram, exalted father to the father of nations, Abraham. What did he do about his wife when he rolled into Egypt? He's a liar. This ain't my wife. She's pretty. I'm afraid somebody might kill me for her. You know, we think about all these different individuals. Jacob, he's a liar. Made the roll call the faithful. Wrestled with God, repented, changed. Moses. God, come on, man, me? I can't speak. You want me to do what? Pharaoh, what? And, and you look at the victories he went on to have. Roll called the faithful. Gideon. I'm the weakest guy of the weakest clan. You want me to do what? Seriously, God. Seriously? Starts out with thousands, whittled down to a few hundred in an incredible victory because he obeyed God. David. That one's all over the map. Murderer. Liar. All kinds of stuff. Betrayer. Roll call the faithful. Actually, he's talked about the man most after God's own heart. 
Guys, we're going to have ups and downs. We're going to have challenges. We're going to get off track. We're going to stray from the path. We may walk on that middle road or the wide path or whatever the heck you want to call it. But when you hear a call to get come back, don't get upset about what the scriptures say. Let's take the time to assess where we're at. Ask for help. If you need strengthening, ask for help. Get somebody else involved. Satan loves to bully. Every single one of those guys, men and women, on that list, on that roll call of the faithful, were bullied by Satan. They were beat up. You know what God did? God lifted them up, and God delivered them. See, it's not about how we start or where we are in the middle of the race, but it's how we finish. We've got to understand we won't finish well if we don't train and mature now. We won't finish well if we don't feed ourselves spiritual food and stay on the path of obedience to God that Jesus calls us to. You know, what does being a fool for Christ require of me? What does being a fool for Christ require for each and every one of us? You know, when you think about the cross, Jesus being forsaken by his Father, does that make sense? Isn't that kind of foolish? I mean, we know he could have called on 12 legions of angels. We know that God could have intervened. Yet God let it ride. Why would God let Jesus die as us? Not for us. So that makes it sound like it's about me. It's about you. Jesus took all that on and died as us. That's the extreme that he was willing to go to. And again, isn't that foolish? See, when Satan stands before God, accusing us and calling down judgment on us, you know what God's answer to Satan's accusations were? I paid for you with my son. Foolishness. That's the extreme that he was willing to go to. When Jesus was mocked and spit on, beaten and crucified, and then being questioned when he was on that cross about being the Son of God. And if he was, why didn't he come on down? He responded, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus answered that question with his life. See, the call today is exactly the same as it was then. We are called to stay on the path and finish the race. In Acts 20, verse 24, two more, verse, two more passages and we're done here tonight. Acts 20, verse 24 reads, However... I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the gospel of God's grace. Looking at our lives, Paul's conviction here, my life is worth nothing to me. Because he understood how limited this life was versus what he had waiting for him in heaven for eternity. Do we consider, do we really consider this life worth nothing? And I think it's something is, again, it's real easy to assess. Look at your schedule. Look at your wallet. Am I giving my best to my job, my schooling, myself? Or am I giving my best, the best of myself to God and building of his kingdom by helping God, loving God, loving his people? Jesus' mindset wasn't based on the temple model. Temple model, again, 
Roman gods, Greek gods, they were viewed as being powerful and you'd have to, you know, you buy the little images or you pay a certain amount of money to get right with them or you lay some food out on the curb for them, whatever the case may be. And they, they would look to God coming down as a human and dying as us as being totally foolish. Yet that's exactly what Jesus Christ did. You know, thinking about this expectation that he has in Matthew 22, this is where we're going to close it out. Temple model was crazy. Over 634 laws and commandments. The thing I love about Jesus, I, I, I'm not the, uh, necessarily the sharpest tool in the shed. And I can't even begin to imagine having to keep track of 634 laws and commandments. But Jesus lays out two that supersedes all of those, and it's right here in Matthew 22, verse 36. He says, Teacher, or it was, it was said to him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. God has cleared a path for us today just as he did for our forefathers. But it's up to each and every one of us individually to stay on that path. We can't get, a, get caught up in, in how difficult it is loving Jesus. And, you know, my gosh, Jesus, you want me to obey this? You want me to obey that? You want me to... No, guys, again, it's not about the do's and don'ts. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbors yourself. It says all those other laws, you do those two things, it upholds all of that. And we'll be that salt. We'll be that light. We'll be those men and women that will be able to have incredible impact in everything that we do. Love for one another. Love for God. That kind of love eliminates the do's and the don'ts and gives us the ability to have our names added to that same roll call of the faithful that we just talked about here a few minutes ago. Because with that, we'll take personal responsibility for our own walk, which gives us the ability to be fools for Christ, to love one another, to love the lost. God bless. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.